All right, we got a good solid five people here. It's our, and this is our Halloween message. That sounds a little weird, but it's it's about the truth. Um, we got just a few minutes, and there's a few people in the back. We'll give them a bit. Be thinking about prayer requests. All right, good evening, everybody. Hope everybody's had a good week so far. Um, I'll mention just a few of the new prayer requests. I'm not going to mention all the ones we did Sunday, but if you'd like to give us an update or mention them again, you're certainly welcome to. Um, but I'll mention a few just to give you updates. And, well, for the, for the most part, let me just say this. You'll notice we're, well, there's just a handful of us here tonight, and that's because everybody's sick. In the whole county, it seems like, and uh, <clears throat> you, you healthy people probably gonna get your your turn here next week. Um, but a lot of people with just colds and different things. My kids had something. Was that Monday? And uh, of course, we we what we always do at my house is we come home and we say it's those Therrington boys, those little vectors. <laughs> but my kids were only sick for what, like a few hours? Yeah, five or six hours, and they were better. Um, but there's people that, we've got Kearns sick tonight and Therrington's. Uh, Adam's got, Madeline's still a little under the weather. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've got neighbors that have, there's, you're hearing people have flu, COVID, colds, all kinds of stuff. And it's that time of year. Um, but uh, speaking of, I've, Adam's father-in-law, Richard Hall, had surgery and uh, sounded like he had a, a successful surgery. What the tit you said a titanium rod? Yeah, it was down somewhere where it's fine ties into the hip bone down there. Uh, he had that's why he said he had walk with a cane. They went in and put a titanium rod in there. They told me he feel like a nineteen year old when he started walking. He said, I'll, I'll see I'll see you. Yeah. Well some good salesmanship on the doctor's part anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Adam was telling me before church though that he they found some blood on his hospital gown and they found out that he had broke his stitches open and they sewed him back up without numbing him. Can y'all believe that? <laughs> Billy's like, yeah. Um, all right. Well, with that, um, and and I know we mentioned many on Sunday and you're welcome to mention them again if you like. But what else would you guys like to mention tonight?
I'm just being a little bit nosy here. <clears throat> Before this happened, was he pretty able-bodied? I mean, you said yeah, he was deer hunting. He just retired. Yeah. Okay. He, yeah, he, he was. That's tough. Uh, I'll mention one. Uh, this kind of came to my mind when he said he had just retired. I mentioned a co-worker of mine named Danny Ray who had just retired and was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And the statistics with that are not good, if you know anything about it. Um, but he's been going through treatment, and obviously he took the news real hard. He just found out right before retirement. He has retired now, um, but he's getting good results from his treatment. And I just wanted to encourage him a little bit, and so I sent him an email. And, uh, and I mentioned to him that he was on our prayer request list and that the church was praying for him. And he told me specifically, he said, tell them I appreciate that so much. And uh, I'm going to miss him. He's one of the few Christians uh, I shouldn't say it that way, but Christians are a minority in the Wildlife Commission for sure. And uh, so we, uh, we've lost one to retirement, and uh, he loves the Lord. And um, he's, In fact, he, he, what he told me is that if he can get through this cancer, he's really excited about the ways that he'll be able to serve the Lord in retirement. And uh, so I hope he gets to do that. Um, what else would you guys like to mention tonight? Hubert Harris and Daniel Medley. Did you raise your hand, honey? Yeah. <clears throat> Allison's had a few women come into the, or a couple women come into the women's center. Um, to just, just be, just pray for them. I'll just put it that way, and pray for what the women's center does. Um, what else, Billy? Oh, go ahead, Jennifer. No fun. We'll, we'll be praying for you. Billy? Yeah. I've got her on here somewhere. Yeah. Is that spelled Y-Vet? Uh, Mitchell. Okay. Very interesting. 
That just happened all, all of a sudden. Well, good. Anybody else? Billy. I wasn't going to tell that unless you wanted to. Well, by the way, if something happens to me and I'm to have surgery or something, y'all just say pray for the preacher. I, you don't need no... <laughs> but uh, we're, we're glad to pray for people however they want. But yeah, Billy told me that. And uh, good for Paula, good news. And um, I know you're waiting on results and we're praying for good news there. By the way, remember Perry Andrews called me the other day. And uh, <clears throat> he calls me a lot. Those of you that know him, he's got a big personality and... Uh, he, I'm just going to tell you, he was down in the dumps, and I, I've never heard him like that. And uh, anyway, just just pray for him. He actually told me he didn't want to live anymore, and uh, that's very unusual. So just if you think of him, uh, well, just remember him in your prayers this week. And uh, with that, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, uh, we come to you realizing who you are. And uh, God, we thank you for your, your power, and we, we thank you, Lord, for your sovereign rule over our lives, and Lord, over all things in this world, and uh, we just ask God that you would help us as we uh, gather these prayer requests together and bring them before you. Help us to remember uh, that you are still in control, and uh, Lord, to see that you are eternally in power and that nothing slips by you. Uh, even still, we come to cast our cares on you, knowing that you invite us to do so, and uh, Lord, for all of our friends and, and family members that have been mentioned, uh, Lord, they're there are many that are sick right now, and uh, some of our youngest to, to some of our oldest. And God, we just pray that you'd be with them, uh, that you'd comfort them while they're down. And we, uh, we ask, Lord, that you'd be with those that have procedures coming up. Uh, there are some that have just had surgeries. We pray, God, that you would uh, put a healing hand upon them. And, uh, Lord, that you would encourage them during this time. <clears throat> and, uh, Lord, for those that have lost loved ones, uh, we pray, Lord, that you'd comfort their hearts as only you can. Uh, Lord, for the whole of our church, we pray, God, that you would watch over us, protect us, keep us. And, uh, Lord, no matter what we do in this life, we pray that you would help us to be godly in all that we do and live our lives in such a way that we glorify you. We ask, God, that you'd be with us as we study your word. And, uh, Lord, help us to rightly divide it, neither to the left nor to the right. And, uh, God, as we learn more about you and your word, we pray, God, that it would be something that continues to transform us and uh, help us to live our lives holy, just as you are holy. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this is... <laughs> it's probably good there's not a lot of people here, because this is a creepy message. I told you guys that at the outset, um, and it really is. We've been going through Jude, and I want to remind you that we began this passage in Jude called Against Their Own Nature. And the reason I called it against their own nature is because there are three examples that are used here. And those examples that Jude uses, by the way, remember the theme, contend for the faith. In other words, stand fast, don't follow false teaching. Believe what's true, reject what's not. But he uses Israel as his first example. And, his, and we dealt with them last Wednesday. And uh, just by... Quickly, a way of reminder, it says that Jesus delivered them out of Egypt and yet he still destroyed them 
who did not believe. And this refers primarily to the ones at Kadesh Barnea that were not allowed to enter the promised land. We could also say that it refers to those that grumbled against the Lord when they didn't have food or water or when things weren't going their way as Israel did. And uh, the Lord sent fiery serpents among them. The point is that every, everybody that got saved of Israel out of Egypt did not enter into the promised land. In fact, guess what? Most of them didn't. If you think about it, most of them didn't. But God gave it to the generation after them. And so the second example are the angels that kept not their own estate. That's the way the King James puts it. And we're going to look at them uh, in detail today. And then the third example, which we will look at next week, is Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, I don't believe that Jude chose any of these by accident. Uh, but I would like to read this, uh, these few short verses that we read, the same ones we read last week, uh, to remind you exactly where we're at. In fact, I'm going to back up to verse 3, and I'm going to read verse 3 through 7. It says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the day of judgment of that great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And so, and by the way, I'm just going to point something out. When you read that, and I understand this is strange stuff, and by the way, this is the kind of stuff most preachers, when they get to stuff like this, they skip it. In fact, most preachers don't preach through verse by verse in the Bible. And you know why? It's so they can skip this stuff when they get to it. Um, we are dealing with Jude, not so that we can talk about the creepiest stuff in the Bible, but that's what we're going to end up doing. But because Jude is the other side of Titus, which Titus says, demand right doctrine. And Jude is saying, reject false teaching. And so the whole point here is to reject false teaching and not to be led astray. And I think that the point is Israel was led astray when they grumbled against God. Who were they led astray by? Israelites. It was people amongst them from within their camp that started grumbling against God. And here these angels that we're talking about today, they were led astray. Who were they led astray by? Namely, by Satan himself, the devil, the dragon that we read about. And we live in a day and age where people... Don't believe in the devil. They think, oh, it's just a, a way of saying that there's evil in the world. But I'm a, the devil is real. The, the scriptures are clear that Satan is real and that he is very powerful. But he's still God's Satan. He is a created being and he is limited in power. So we're going to look at this example of the angelic rebellion. And it says here that these angels did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling and he has, that is, the Lord has kept them in eternal chains 
under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. Let me say it this way. The angels right now are being judged, and then in the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath, they will receive eternal judgment, and they will be cast into the lake of fire. Now, I will go ahead and tell you, there are some people that disagree with what I'm going to present. I read this, and I just want to take it at face value. It says that the angels sinned. It says that they did not stay within their own habitation or has a, their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, and that they're going to be judged. And it pairs it with Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you notice that it says that they're kept in chains of gloomy darkness until judgment of the great day, and then there's a hyphen, and it says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. So it's saying, just as. So there's a similarity between these angels and in what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, we'll, we'll fully connect them next week. But the face value interpretation of this is based off of Genesis chapter 6. And in fact, I'm going to flip over there, and you're welcome to flip over there with me. And we are going to read about this fall. By the way, I'll give you something to think about. When did Satan fall? Some of you think you know. We don't know. Chronologically, we don't know. I will tell you that most pastors say, most scholars and Bible teachers and theologians, they would say that he fell sometime between creation and and the temptation in the Garden of Eden. And that might be right, but not necessarily. And the reason I say not necessarily is because we know that in the book of Job, Satan still has access to the very throne room of heaven. It says when Job opens, that Satan presents himself with, the language that's used is the sons of God. So the other angels are called the sons of God. And uh, he tells God he's been going to and fro, back and forth on the earth. But he's still right there in the throne room of heaven. So I think it's possible that even after the temptation, Satan had access to the throne room of heaven and was cast down sometime after that, perhaps here. So in Genesis chapter 6, let me find my place here. Let's look at verse number, well, I'll just start at the beginning. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born unto them, the sons of God... Now look, that's that phrase that means angels. It's, it's right there in Job. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be a hundred and twenty years." The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. Has anybody got the King James? What does verse 4 say, the start of it? Yes. There were giants in the earth. Mine says the Nephilim. It leaves it untranslated. And the reason is because it's a confusing word. That word Nephilim comes from the root word, which means, it's nephal, which means fallen ones. It is usually translated giants, though, and here's why. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God, the angels, came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And I'm not going to read the rest, but 
this initiates the flood. In fact, I remember being a little kid and somebody telling me that from this point on, God wouldn't let man live longer than 120 years. I don't think that's what this 120 years statement is. I think it's a countdown. Man, we're not, in other words, God's saying, this is wicked and I'm putting limits on this and the flood would come to pass. In fact, that's a whole other sermon and it's a good one too to show the grace of God. God waited to the last minute possible to flood the earth, basically. Um, but the short version of this, if you read it at face value, <clears throat> is that there were some angels, we'll go ahead and call them the fallen angels, and that they looked on the daughters of men, the pretty young ladies, and that they, it says that they took them. It doesn't say that they wooed them. It says they took from among them wives as many as they chose. And they had some kind of strange offspring called the Nephilim or the giants. And my Bible says that these were the mighty men who were of the old, the men of renown. And so all you have to do is think about some of the other passages in Scripture. Uh, the most famous one being Goliath himself. Where did these anomalies come from? And why, it, why is every society on earth, every people group, why do they have legends of great people, giants, um, all over the world? And uh, the reason is because they had an origin. It was right here in uh, Genesis chapter 6. Now look, I want to tell you the other view. So if you can't handle that, you can believe this other view. But it ain't right. <laughs> The other view, and many pastors will teach this, especially pastors that just don't want to believe something like that could happen. They say that the sons of God were not angels, but they were the godly men. It means the godly line of Seth, or a godly lineage of men, and that they were intermarrying with wicked women from ungodly lines, people that were practicing idolatry. The only problem with that is where did the giant babies come from? And also, I don't see anything in the scriptures that identifies the line of Seth as being godly in any particular way. So um, those are the two main views. There are variations of them that fit under those views. But either this passage is saying that there were fallen angels that reproduced with earthly women, or it means that there was a certain line, the, Seth, the Sethite line, and that they reproduced and made these abominations for children. Somehow, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but some people, they take that view. Now, I'm going to step outside the Bible for just a minute, if you'll let me do that. And the reason I'm going to do it is because, quite frankly, no preachers, there's not, a, there's not a Southern Baptist preacher that preaches on this, at least not that I'm aware of. So what did the early church fathers, how did they interpret this passage and Jude and others like it? I went ahead, and by the way, you can disagree if you want to. I'll let you be like the amillennial and postmillennial folks that come to this church, and we have some, and there are brothers and sisters in Christ, and they are welcome. I believe in a premillennial view. In other words, that the Lord's going to rapture out His church, and that then there will be great tribulation, and He's going to come back and set up His kingdom. Some people don't believe that. <clears throat> if you want to know... I think the Bible teaches that. I think it's very plain. I don't know how people arrive at other views. But do you know what one of my favorite evidences is to prove a premillennial pre, uh, uh, pre eschatology? It's what the earliest church fathers thought. People like Irenaeus, people like Clement of Rome, people like Justin Martyr. They were the closest to the apostles. Guess what they believed? The same thing I believe, that God's going to rapture out His church 
and that then that he will usher in a great tribulation, and then he will set up a thousand-year kingdom. Well, what did these guys believe about this passage? I looked it up for you. Here's what Justin Martyr believed. God, when he had made the whole world and subjected things earthly to man and arranged the heavenly elements for the increase of fruits and rotation of the seasons and appointed this divine law, for these things he evidently made man. He committed the care, <clears throat> excuse me, he committed the care of men and all things under heaven to angels whom he appointed over them. But the angels transgressed this appointment and were captivated by the love of women. That's what Justin Martyr wrote in the second century, I believe it was. Irenaeus interpreted it this way. For a very long while, wickedness extended and spread and reached and laid hold upon the whole race of mankind until a very small seed of righteousness remained among them and illicit unions, illicit unions took place upon the earth since angels were united with the daughters of the race of mankind, and they bore to them the sons for whom exceeding greatness were called giants. You want to hear something really funny about this strange theory? It's actually in Greek mythology. Do you guys know the stories about gods that reproduce with humans, and they produced the titans, the demigods, Hercules? Who's the other ones? Who are the other titans? I don't know. We read stories about them when we were in middle school. And so these biblical truths have found their way into the mythology of the secular world. St. Ambrose said the giants, Nephilim, were on the earth in those days. The author of the divine scripture does not mean that those giants must be considered, according to the tradition of poets, as sons of the earth, but asserts that those whom he defines with such a name because of the extraordinary size of their body, were generated by angels and women. And so St. Ambrose would say the same thing. By the way, Clement of Rome agrees. I'm not going to read his quote. It is much longer. Um, but it agrees that this is what happened, that the sons of God, angels, came in to daughters of men, and he says, uh, they partook of human lust and being brought under its subjection, fell into cohabitation with women and being involved with them, sunk into defilement and altogether emptied of their power, were unable to turn back to their first purity of their proper nature. So he says that they lost something, that this was when the angels fell. All right, so we've read Genesis 6. We've read uh, Jude. I'm going to read you another passage from 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So this is a different Apostle writing about the same sort of thing. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Same thing as Jude. He's talking about false teaching here. Even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction, destruction is not asleep. Now listen to this. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell... Let me just pause right there on that word, hell. We're gonna, well, we'll come right back to it. But he cast them into hell... And committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, 
a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. I'll stop right there. You getting the theme here? Jude agrees with Peter who agrees with Abraham, or excuse me, who agrees with uh, Genesis chapter 6. And this fits into the grand narrative of Scripture and it's interpreted this way by the early church fathers and we should interpret it the same way. I am thankful that there are not a lot of details in here personally, uh, but we know enough. And let me just point this out because this is the main thrust of what Jude is saying. They are kept in chains of darkness. In other words, they cannot escape. Now this place that this passage that we just read in 2 Peter that it calls hell, it is a Greek word. It is used one time in all of Scripture, and that word is Tartarus. Anybody ever heard that word before? Got a couple that are saying, yeah. Guess what? It's in Greek mythology. Do you know what it is? It's the center of the earth, and it's the prison where they put the titans, the half-men, half-gods. And somehow we find that word in our New Testament scriptures. The only thing that I can tell you is that it's true. This place, Tartarus, really exists, and it's not just hell. In fact, if you consult mythology, they will say that Tartarus is as far below hell as heaven is above earth. And so this is the, in fact, do you want to get a good idea of Tartarus? Do you know, do you remember the story and this is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But Luke's the only one that includes this detail. And it's the story of Jesus when he encounters the Gadarene demon-possessed man. You all know the story. Jesus comes out and the demon-possessed man, it says that he lived among the tombs, that he cut himself, that they had bound him in chains, but he was so strong he would break the chains and that he, would, he lived naked among the tombs. Well, when he saw Jesus, he comes running to Jesus... And he says, What hast thou to do with us, O Son of the Most High God? Has thou come to torment us before the time? It's one man talking, but he's saying, Us. What hast thou to do with us? And so uh, this man, do you know what he says? He says, Do not cast us into the abyss. And by the way, this is the, the man who, uh, by the way, G Jesus, he, he, I don't know why he does this, but he grants the demons, which are called legion, for they are many, he grants them their request. He does not send them to the abyss or what we would call the bottomless pit. He doesn't do that. He casts them into a herd of swine and then the pigs run into the sea and they are choked. Now, if you want to know why the pigs ran into the sea and they were choked, you have to ask somebody else. I have no earthly idea. Not, not even the foggiest idea. Um, <clears throat> But nevertheless, they mention this place, the bottomless pit. And we know from the book of Revelation that eventually that old devil, Satan, will be captured and he will be chained and he will be cast into the bottomless pit and it will be locked and he will not have reign over the earth. But eventually, the Lord is going to let him out. Isn't that amazing? He's still God's devil. And God uses even the evil things to bring about his perfect will. So this abyss is Tartarus, in my opinion. It's the bottomless pit. In fact, if you want to dig a little further into Revelation, uh, I can't remember the chapter. Somewhere around chapter 12 in Revelation, we have the part 
during the Great Tribulation where the abyss is opened and it says that these demons come up out of it and they're described as being like locusts. But then it says that of those locusts that, that they had uh, bodies like horses and faces like lions and that they had the power to sting men like scorpions. Now I can't draw that because I can't quite imagine it. But it is some, some kind of demonic being that's kept in there. And it says this. It says, and they had an angel over them whose name is Abaddon. And in the Greek, it is Apollyon. Isn't that interesting that this is something that we see in mythology? And we've got uh, some of these sort of, well, I believe it to be real. It's in my Bible. And I believe that God's Word is perfect and it's pure and it's here for our learning. And so Tartarus, the abyss, the bottomless pit, it is a place that is holding these angels and eventually... When the church is gone and raptured out, you know what that means, church? You're safe. You will be raptured out into heaven, out of reach of these monstrous beings. But the world, the earth dwellers, those that have rejected Christ and His gospel, that want nothing to do with God, that are enemies of the cross and enemies of Jesus Christ, they will be subjected to these beings. I don't know what that's like, but I can tell you it's not good. Um, and then I've got in my notes here a big rabbit hole that we could go down um, about the abyss. I'm not going to do it. I think I've made my point. And so uh, when we think about this passage, and I need to get back to Jude here, <laughs> what Jude is saying, I'm going I'm to put it to you away. I believe what he's, he's saying the angels are being judged, and the angels are going to be judged. Now we know that in the coming judgment, by the way, Christian, did you know that the Bible says that we shall judge the angels? We will. These beings we will judge, but they are being held in captivity right now. They cannot do the things that they once did. They are jailed in this place called Tartarus. You can call it hell if you want to. But the point is that they are kept there until that great tribulation when they will be led out. And by the way, I happen to believe that through the distress that these wicked angels will cause on the earth, that many people will actually cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ and that many will be saved. God will use even them to bring about His salvific will. Um, but Jude is saying, if you follow false teaching, you will fall immediately into judgment and then in that great day you too will be judged. Let me put it this way. In Romans 1, it talks about the people that were given over to a reprobate mind. Do you know what that means? that their mind doesn't work anymore. They cannot think right. In other words, some people, they think it's funny. Well, I'll just drift away from God a little bit. I know that the Bible says I shouldn't do this, but everybody else in my culture is doing it, so I'm going to get out here a little bit, and I'm going to do what I think is fun and, and brings me pleasure. And then all of a sudden, they have gone so far that there's no turning back because their mind is literally broken, and they can't think their way back to God. And you know how that manifests itself? They don't want to come back to God. And this is why we see, and sometimes, sometimes this happens. In fact, somebody, uh, in fact, it was Karen Burgoon. She just shared with me a story about somebody that was lost and had a deathbed conversion. In other words, they were about to die. They'd lived a long life, 80-some years old, but the Lord was, well, He'd brought them to the end of their life. And they confess their sins and cast their care on Jesus. But do you know that's really a rare thing? Most people don't do it. The people that say, I'm going to put it off and I'll come to Jesus later, 
Most of them never do. They die in their sin. And people that die in their sin have no salvation. They go to the same place that these angels are going, to hell, to the lake of eternal fire. So the lessons that Jude wants us to learn is be vigilant in your faith. Can I just say it this way? Know what you're supposed to believe and believe it and reject things that go against the Bible. I'll give you an example. I saw this yesterday. There's a guy that uh, has been interviewed. He's making the rounds on YouTube videos and Facebook right now. And his story, bless his heart, he probably means this, but his story is that he died and that he he doesn't say he went to heaven. He says he crossed over the veil and he met God and he has this story. But several things that he says, if you know your Bible, you will know that he is directly contradicting Scripture. For one thing, the Bible says, Who hath ascended unto heaven? None but the Son of Man. So the only person, if somebody tells you that they died and that they came back, I don't care if it's the little boy that wrote the book or if it's your grandpa, they're wrong because they didn't do that. Now, I'm not going to tell you that people can't still have visions. I will say that is uh, the exception, not the rule. But nevertheless, uh, well, I'll tell you one of the other things this guy said. He said that Satan had a hold of the church and he had, he'd already subdued it, something along those lines. But that directly contradicts what Jesus Christ said when he said, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. The church cannot be fooled by Satan. The church is secure, but it's kept secure by Christians being vigilant in their faith. You know, let me say something though. Satan is a deceiver. He is very powerful. If he could deceive angels that stood in the very presence of Almighty God, how much easier is it for Satan to deceive human beings? And this is why it is monumentally important that Christians know what God's Word says. And that brings me to my second point. Don't despise God's teachings. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. I might say it next Sunday too. We have this great blessing of God's holy and inspired word and we let it sit on our coffee table Sunday to Sunday and don't pick it up and read it. If you pick up your Bible and you just read it 15 minutes a day, give me five minutes a day, you'd learn so much. You'd become so much more acquainted with what the Lord Jesus says and what God's plan is for you in your life. If we knew the scriptures, if we knew the words of Jesus and the teaching of our apostles, then we are so grounded that we almost can't be fooled because we know what the Lord says. We can do like Jesus and in that great day of temptation, we can, we can quote the scriptures to the devil. I promise you the devil knows the Bible. Promise you. He quoted it to Jesus like the back of his hand. And I said this, and I'm going to mention it one more time because there is such a thing as too late. We said it last week when we talked about Israel going into Kadesh Barnea. They were like, oh, we can't do it. And then when God said, fine, you can die in the wilderness. I'll give it to your children. Do you know what they said after that? Oh, we changed our mind. We're going to take up arms. We're going to go in there. And you know what God said? It's too late. If you go in there now, you'll be slaughtered. I'm not with you anymore. That's, the world's still like that. Do not despise God's leading. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about seeking the Lord while he may be found. It says that today is the day of salvation. And by the way, I'll remind you what Caleb said we talked about last week, that he wholly followed God. Don't mess up. I don't care if everybody else in the entire world turns against Jesus Christ, you stick with him. You stick with him and he'll never let you down. 
And remember that these are examples for us. I'm going to be honest with you, and some of you might get mad at me for this, but these angels that came and sinned, my God is powerful enough that He could have stopped them. He knew their plans before they even knew them. He saw clear as day what they were going to do, and He could have stopped them, but He didn't. And the, the New Testament says that the Old Testament happened as in samples for us, and Jude is using them here to remind us to contend for the faith. I got one more Old Testament picture I want to remind you of because I have to tell you guys that when I became a Christian, I look, look, I grew up in a church, but I didn't get saved until I was in my 20s. I knew a lot of Bible, but I didn't get saved until I was in my 20s. And when that happened and I began to read my Bible, something, something was different. I could somewhat understand it. Not every passage, not perfectly, but it was coming to life right before me. And I would read stuff like this, and it would scare me to death. And I would think things like, well, what's going on in the spiritual realm around us? There's a war taking place. I hope you all know that. And one day I was feeling kind of brave, and I said, I wish I could see into it a little bit. And I actually mentioned this to a preacher. I said, could you imagine? And in my mind I was thinking, if we could see what demons and devils were doing then we could better respond to them. But you know what this preacher told me when I said, if only we could see into the spiritual realm? He looked at me with a quivering voice and he said, you couldn't handle it. <laughs> He's probably right. And I, I'm going to turn over here. Well, actually, I've got it written down here. This is from 2 Kings. And this is a reminder to the Christian. And I, want, I think this was in the days of Elisha. It may have been Elijah. It's Elisha. And so... Uh, there's a war about to take place. They're surrounded and they're outnumbered. And Elisha's not scared. And uh, there's a servant that comes to him. Um, and he's, he's asking, you know, what are we going to do? And it says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And this is Elisha here. He said, Do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and he said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes, uh, opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed, and the Lord said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. The Christian's best weapon is prayer. Now we don't, we don't get this glimpse into the spiritual realm. And again, I think we probably should be thankful for that. But God is in control. And what was true then is true now. Those who are with us, the angels that are still watching over God's creation, the race of mankind, that are still messengers of God's will and of God's grace, and that are doing what God desires, they are greater than the fallen angels. The worst of the fallen, they're locked up in Tartarus. And the ones that are still here, they let, Jesus Christ left them here for His own purposes. And my Bible says that when Satan fell, he took a, his tail and he drew a third part of the stars out of heaven with him. One-third of the angels. Guess what? God's still got two-thirds. 
And I think that's a recipe for a winning team. I just want to remind you again that Jude says, contend for the faith. And what he's saying is, do not be deceived. Jesus Christ said, be careful that you are not deceived. Do you know what that means? Our Lord expects that we know the truth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this precious gift of your word. It is a treasure that we take for granted every single day. Uh, Lord, it is my prayer um, for the whole of this congregation, not just the ones of us that are here, but for all of this church, uh, Lord, that we would become better acquainted with your word, that we might know you more, that we might know your plan for this planet and especially your plan for your people. Uh, God, we do thank you for the church and uh, we thank you that we are counted among the church of Christ. We ask God that you would forgive, forgive us of our sins and Lord, help us to continue to, to strive towards holiness, confessing our sins, knowing that you are faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would watch over the families of this church, that you would be with us whatever we are going through, whatever things we